Before we begin, I'd like to proudly mention our sponsor, Injitsu.com, providing remote at-home training from some of the world's top MMA fighters. These classes are not pre-recorded. These trainers come to you live and coach you for the duration of the class. I've personally taken a few of these classes, and I've never felt so inspired and accomplished in a workout session. They'll leave you both on the floor in exhaustion, but wanting more. There are still slots available for online classes, so head over to injitsu.com slash richardlistens to get your first class free. That's I-N-J-I-T-S-U dot com slash richardlistens. I'll see you there. I'm a big fan of MMA sports. It's rough and elegant at the same time. I think my number one fear of stepping into a ring like that would be protecting my teeth. Luckily, the guys over at Impact Dental Designs have created an amazing mouth guard that is state of the art. These mouth guards are currently being used by some of the best MMA fighters, but even better, they can be tailored to any sport. Football, hockey, boxing, soccer, the list is endless. Head over to impactdentaldesigns.com slash richardlistens to get 20% off your order and a free customized design for your mouth guard. and thank you for joining me. I'm Richard Olberger, clinical psychologist, and you've joined the Richard Listens Show. Thank you again for another exciting and informational uh, episode. Today we will be featuring Madison Harris, who's an occupational therapist working with adolescent and adult lifestyle interventions to improve everyday functioning. She works with UCLA's Brain Sport Program, and she also helps with Operation MEND, helping uh, West LA veterans as well. Her aim is to get clients to develop healthy routines, establish independence, and leave meaningful and active lives and help them return to work and play. Dr. Harris helps clients with uh, high-level athletes return after injury, uh, including with epilepsy, concussion, strokes, spinal cord injuries. She's passionate about helping clients and she helps them adapt to significant life events such as moving to college, finding jobs, and retiring from a sport or long-term career. It's my pleasure to welcome Dr. Madison Harris. I'm Richard Olberger. Again, check me out on Instagram at richardlistens and visit my patreon.com slash richardlistens page. Without further ado, Madison Harris. And welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Madison Harris. Great to be here. <laughs> Thank you so much. And I'm so excited. We finally got to uh, collaborating. We are true definition of uh, quarantine friends uh, introduced over Zoom. <laughs> recording yep. on Zoom and making future plans on how to help the world in the same media. Exactly. So how are things going for you post-quarantine or, or are you, I mean, with brain health and, and UCLA, or are you guys able still to see patients or, or is most things being done at a distance still? Yeah, most, all of my practice actually is still at a distance through UCLA. And so have transitioned my whole practice over there to telemedicine and been seeing a lot of patients through that platform, which has been really interesting to adapt to. I would say even with quarantine, we had even more patients needing OT services because of that transition to not being in school anymore, not seeing peers or not being at work and having kids running around and not being able to 
prioritize work and teaching the kids and all of that. So I've definitely been working a lot more since moving to telemedicine, surprisingly. You have a, a private practice in Westwood or is it a clinic? Yes, I work full time at UCLA, but then um, I developed two programs, one in the work, so three total um, for the UCLA Brain Sport Program. Um, the Adolescent Epilepsy Center there, and then the Operation Mend program there. Mm -hmm. And then last July, I also opened my own private practice. It's called Preferred Therapy Associates. And I have clinic space in Santa Monica where I have the opportunity to see patients, but mostly so far I've done in-home visits because a lot of the goals that the patients have, I like to do them in the real environment. So if they're around like organizing or routines, I'd rather do them in their home where they have access to their calendars and their computers and all of that. And then I also do uh, telemedicine via Zoom. Is this for children with epilepsy or adults? At UCLA, it's for adolescents. In my private practice, I'm taking a mix of adolescents and adults right now. My eventual goal would be to build my private practice out to focus mostly on athletes. And I'm really interested in like the mental and physical health of athletes, whether it be during the time where their identity changes from an athlete to maybe an injured athlete whether it be concussion related or orthopedic injuries, those types of things and that adjustment or my big interest, I guess I should say, is um, helping athletes transition into retirement. I see that when they go into retirement, their identity, their lifestyle, their social structure, all of that changes. And I think that OT could be really beneficial in helping those athletes adjust into kind of a different everyday lifestyle. So that was like my end goal. I think I had two nights a week of two, three clients. Even those days that were longer, seeing people till nine at night from 8.30 in the morning, I got energy. Like I got out of my car at 5.30. I walked through the park and I was like so excited. You know, it was like visiting the other part of my identity, my future self. And it was like yeah. this little meeting between your current and future self where you're like much That's better. That's exactly how I feel right now is like, it's so fun to see a new patient come on the caseload or um, a new challenge that I get to address in such different ways than I'm confined to in the clinic space and just having that ability to explore with the patient what they actually want to do and being able to help them do that is something I found really rewarding and definitely continues to pull me towards my private practice and building that more and more. The biggest barrier I find right now is um, billing insurance and making sure what I'm doing in clinic matches the insurance codes that are being done because the style of OT that I do is a lot different than what you would think of as traditional OT. Um, I don't necessarily do I have skills in, but don't do it all the time. The hands-on rehabilitation things like you would see with a stroke patient or with a pediatric sensory patient who is avoiding certain sensations. Um, I do a lot more like um, executive functioning strategies, um, routine management, return to play, return to school, like integrating into work or transitioning into college, post-grad life, um, new careers. So I do a lot more like, okay, how are we going to work this out? What is our new day going to look like? How are you going to integrate that thing that you want to do into taking care of your kids and now teaching your kids from home and trying to work from home and doing all of these different things at the same time? So I really like the meshing of roles and goals, I guess, into one kind of pot and picture. Wow. So how might you work with a retired athlete who has uh, some injuries? With them, it would be finding ways to adapt exercises and making sure that they still have ways that they can exercise. I find a lot of athletes who retire, including myself, the lack of structure. 
I was a dancer for 17 years and that life for so long. And even you think of these collegiate football players who maybe started in Pop Warner at six or seven and have had these structured lives with people telling them when to work out and when to go to school. And then somewhere in there, you mm. do your homework. And um, I think a lot of the struggle that comes with leaving a sport is around that structure, is around that motivation. You have to motivate yourself to go work out. You have to motivate yourself to cook yourself meals that are healthy instead of going out to drive throughs all the time. You have to motivate yourself to manage money effectively and efficiently, which is not something I'm an expert in, but can help provide strategies or spreadsheets or different apps that can be useful helping them find new ways to work out in a gym, which I'm learning too. So like going to the gym and exploring machines together and what would your workout exercise routine look like? Even figuring out what your own goals are, right? Because it's not yeah. just set by the team and it's not brutal force pounding, you know, it could be a lot more finesse and flexibility. Exactly. Yeah. And then flexibility isn't always the best thing as I think we're kind of learning in quarantine now where we have a little more time. We have maybe some meetings throughout the day, but nowhere where we have to drive to for an eight to five job or whatever we used to work. And I think providing that for especially retired athletes could be really important to the, not only their physical health, but also their mental health. We see a lot of athletes have so many mental health struggles, especially coming from the concussion world and hearing about CTE and all of these things that are being discussed specifically around NFL players and how if these NFL players are supported, in their retirement, in that transition, how many of those symptoms that are maybe being reported as CTE maybe would be limited or wouldn't be as apparent in these guys' lives if they had support as they were transitioning and that help they needed to adjust to a new lifestyle. Some of that's like the stigma. I mean, feeling like you can't go to anybody and tell them you're having mood swings or depressed or uh, are there physical exercises you can give people who maybe have CTE soon after retirement? Yeah, I think so. And I definitely have like a whole CTE talk in my back pocket too about what I've learned from brain sport that I think would be really effective in my private practice is treating the symptoms that the person has rather than the diagnosis. So instead of treating a concussion, we treat maybe the anxiety they are feeling about their symptoms, the migraines that they're now having from the injury, the deconditioning, those symptoms. So with CTE, I kind of look at it the same, whether they have it or not, giving them the label isn't going to change their life for the better. It will probably change it for the worse because then they're going to think that they have this degenerative disease and they're just going to progressively look at word finding and forgetting their keys as them degenerating. And then it just gets the anxiety going and just spirals out of control. So I would look at the symptoms that they were experiencing and okay, like what exercises can we do that you feel like are within your realm? Can we grade those up? Can we grade them back? What do we need to do to help support you in your day-to-day -day routine now um, that you're retired? Whether you have this thing or not, how can we address the memory difficulties, the anxiety, the down mood, lack of motivation that maybe you're feeling right now? How can we just address those symptoms as they are? Okay, how can you address headaches? You mean with, uh, with medications or so um in my brain sport team i collaborate really closely with the neurologist i strongly believe in like a team approach with um, constant communication so with my patients there and in my private practice i generally try to be an email or phone collaboration with 
the other providers. I can't prescribe medications as an OT, but I, I know how to make sure they're taking them every day so that they're not forgetting one day and then they have a spike in their headaches. I'm pretty familiar with the um, medication, so I could probably educate them if they're fearful about any of them or talk to the neurologist and say, hey, I know this really worked. Um, do you use this medication? Is this something you would be interested in? Um, and then from the headache perspective, we could do how do you stop at like that 80% effort when you have a little bit of a headache, but your headache isn't a full-blown migraine. Right. Noticing right, how to reduce mm-hmm. full onset and how to care for yourself exactly. prior to you know, have a full-blown episode. But in general, having the component of being able to address the physical components, uh, you know, of even teen athletes that are having concussions, basketball players, right? It's happening more and more. Yeah. So actually our whole clinic is outpatient. All of the clinics I work in are outpatient. So we look um, for providers in the community, especially to refer to for psychology therapy. Um, We really need those resources and we really need people who understand brain injury because a lot of the patients that we see come into clinic are the more chronic patients. So they've already gone to their PCP, they've been diagnosed with a concussion, maybe didn't do so well, and then now they're coming to us a month later or like eight months later and haven't been back to school at all. And then that's when they end up in my realm. But there's so much to handle that having a psychologist or someone to process the anxiety with would be so helpful. So many of them believe that their one concussion is a detrimental brain injury that is going to affect the rest of their lives. And so I think that's why we usually look for CBT when referring out into the community, because we want to help them change that mindset to recognize that when you have a headache, that's not a lifetime brain damage problem. It's because your mom had migraines, your grandma had migraines, you were going to get migraines in your 16 and then you just hit your head. So maybe your migraine started a year earlier than they would have started. So those types of things, just helping them process. Now you're a former athlete. I want to get into that. And you have a lot of hats you wear, including building your own uh, private practice, correct? Uh, preferred therapy and associates. Is that right? Yeah. I tell people a little bit. They always ask me when I mention you might need an OT referral, a, you know, the little bit of the beginner's version of what's occupational therapy and how does it tie in to people that are, you know, like you mentioned, they're just needing some help at home or post-career, things like that. Absolutely. So um, the way that I describe occupational therapy is um, that OTs help people do all of the things that they want to do and they need to do in their daily lives. So that's the the not so fun stuff like going to school or work and doing chores and taking care of the house to the fun stuff like seeing friends and exercising and playing sports. So my role as an OT in the clinics that I work in is a little bit different than um, a more traditional OT who may be working on fine motor and um, and sensory needs and other other needs in this population. Uh, my my program is centered around um, more executive functioning strategies, routine building, um, help with independence and transition. So transitioning to college, out of college, out of sports, into retirement. Um, more focused on. Um, the change in identity and social structure and routine um, and helping people adapt to those changes. And so when does someone, you know, realize they need OT? Is it, you know, like 
usually when something's going wrong or out of balance, um, how is the referral usually presented? Yeah, so a lot of the um, patients I'm seeing are um, athletes who have had a concussion and maybe are having a little bit more um, of a challenging time getting back into school or getting back into their sports. Um, I can put them through an exercise protocol to help them feel a little more confident going back into their sports or help them come up with graded return to play protocols that are um, sports specific and very specific to how they want to get back to what they were doing. In adults who have had motor vehicle accidents, it's helping them find adaptive strategies or modifications for returning to work, how to communicate that with your boss, how to slowly increase your engagement and return back to that normal routine that you were in. The way that I would look at it is if you're having difficulties in any aspects of your life and you have goals to improve them, whether it be wanting to build a better routine to shower every day, take out the trash and manage your finances or returning to school, returning to play. Any, anything that seems a little bit challenging in your everyday life is something that we can help with. Now, what sport did you, did you play? Were you competitive in? So I was a dancer for 17 years. Wow. So is that profession that or a sport that you like to still focus on? Are you have an affinity for that? Yeah, I loved dancing while I was in it. I ended up stepping back from dance when I came back from studying abroad. It just felt like a good natural break in the time to enter retirement. And I danced competitively since the time I was probably seven. I was dancing 20 20 hours a week, 25 hours a week. Um, And I loved it. When I was abroad, um, I started running. And so since coming back, I definitely do a lot more running and yoga than I do dance. But I hope one day to even go back and teach one of the We Ones classes just just to keep my foot in the door. Dance was such a, a great outlet and a, a passion of mine that um, I would like to find my way back to someday. So who, who helped you transition from doing something so intensively from a young age to finding your path and calling? So that's where I came up with this, this whole concept of helping athletes transition out of their sport because I had such a hard time transitioning. I was in college. Um, I tried to transition when I was a freshman um, and, and remove myself from the dance world and ended up auditioning for USC's um, dance. Uh, one of their club sports um, dance teams because I just couldn't do it. I, the social aspect, the identity aspect, the, the structured exercise and engagement and routine, those were such big parts of my life for so long. And I had such a hard time letting that go, letting um, the structure that dance provided my life go. And so ended up continuing on for two more years and then kind of forced had to quit due to classes and things like that so I I navigated it on my own but definitely not as well as I could have if I had the the support in place to to help me with that transition so that's amazing thank you for for sharing that uh, about your journey who was there if anyone uh to support you uh in, in figuring out like what next or or you know that there could be a healthy relationship to a new sport like running So I think a lot of my support came from my family who was really involved in my dance career. And it just kind of felt like a natural transition as far as transitioning from dance to running. I hated running when I was in middle school and high school and you had to do those miles and all of that. (laughs) And um, being abroad in England, I had a lot of time and I really wanted to explore in my 
friends who were abroad with me had classes at the times that I didn't. And so I needed to do a lot of exploring of the campus on my own. And so um, one way that I felt was a good way to do that and just get out of my flat at the time was to go running. And so um, I found this loop that I really liked to do. It ended up being a three mile loop and I started really slow and just kind of found my groove listening to music, running through the trees. It's a lot different running um, in the the countryside of England versus running in downtown LA. So it was oh. a lot prettier <laughs> and a lot more motivating to get into running out there than it was um, to try to do that here. And then it, it really is. It really yeah. is. I used to like running in, in college at University of Florida. And it's like when you're looking at beautiful swamp and, and everything like that and hills, it keeps you going. It's exhilarating. Where here I'm like, uh, it's just like, I can't see like, oh, I'm just picturing all the smoke that I ingest so yeah and what's the route that you can run with the least amount of stoplights and and crosswalks and it's just a lot more to figure out I'm sure elite runners would say I'm making excuses so <laughs> but so you were in um in England for was that part of your studies yeah so I went to England I studied at the University of Sussex it was in Brighton England so south of London um, and I was there for six months studying psychology at their university. Oh, great. So you understand the mind and the body. Yes, that was my goal. So I have a minor in psychology that I was able to finish up while I was in England. And then my major of occupational therapy as well. So tell me, I mean, you're working with so many programs right now. How do you keep it all balanced between, you know, the Brain Sport Program, Operation MEND, the West LA VA Veterans Administration um, all really worthwhile causes and, and organizations. How do you keep it balanced? It's definitely challenging. I use a lot of the strategies that I, I teach my patients on a daily basis and try to reinforce them in my own lifestyle too. A lot of the programs or the people that I work with, um, I look at veterans as retired athletes and then working with the retired athlete population and then the current athlete population, which we're seeing um, when they come in with concussions in my UCLA clinic. A lot of them have so many of the same qualities that it's easy to build kind of a base program and then have the the foundation overlap in all of the populations and just finding the the key areas that are unique to each population that maybe need to be addressed in a different way or may be need to be addressed more thoroughly in one population than the other. Um, so really holding key to that that foundation of the program and then tailoring it to each population and then even from there to each individual. A lot of our, our treatments are really individualized and client-centered, which is what we pride ourselves on. Yeah, you mentioned, and this is, you know, common for mental skills too, the, the overlap between athlete and military populations. What are some of the similarities uh, you notice? Yeah, so working with the Operation Men group at UCLA has been such a great opportunity getting to know the men and women that come into our clinic and hearing about their, their lifestyles in the military and then as they were transitioning out and then now being where they are, where they're coming into the Operation Men program. So many of them, it sounds like, were these high achieving people in their military roles. They were active, um, just like athletes, they have 
structured workouts. They have times where they need to be the group and times where they can be by themselves. And I feel like when a military member leaves that structured environment too, it's just as challenging as obviously with challenges that come along with it, but it's similar to the structure that athletes have in their daily lives. And then when you retire from the military, you lose that structure, that social support of the people that you've been around every day, maybe that you're deployed with or, or living on base with, um, that all that whole dynamic changes and your identity changes, um, similar to an athlete. Yeah. So this is really where your focus is with OT on, on retirement is in that loss of identity. I want to help people find new ways to live out their lives after they're done with the military, after they're done with sport. There's still so much time for them to discover things that they're interested in or um, pursue ideas or careers or projects that they they always wanted to work on. So it's just finding the right footing to get some of those things started. How might you personalize something like that for an athlete, right? We're talking about people who are retiring at, you know, from early 20s to, you know, mid 30s. I mean, you know, relatively very young individuals and yet so much of your life, early life devoted to a sport. What what are some skills or, or you know, transition type programs you put together for athletes? Great question. So I think um, for them, a lot of what the program will entail is accountability. So just setting um, that structured routine for when are you going to exercise, even like what will your programs look like? Will you do running, cross training, lifting? Um, what does the breakdown of that exercise routine look like? And then having someone to check in with to hold you accountable to sticking to that routine, finding that internal motivation to to go engage in those activities. I definitely um, am interested in exploring the, the individual athletes' goals. So what things are they interested in going back to school, um, pursuing a career, going back to coaching or doing something in the sports world? And then how can we get you there? So what, what skills, what, what things do we need to do? Do we need to research colleges? Do we need to look at the like college um, application deadlines? Or do we need to learn how to go on Indeed.com and put together a resume and actually building that resume together and then applying for jobs, practicing interviewing skills? What, what are their goals? And then how are we going to get there? Um, in all of my initial evaluations, we start with um, going through a list of different categories where the client can set their own goals and um, establish what things they want to work on. And that's what I go off of, whatever they, they really drive um, the sessions. It's whatever they want to do. So it helps make the transition a lot more manageable in that you break it down into skills that can be acquired or learned. Yeah, I think that's the the key to it, is breaking it down piece by piece. How are we going to get there? And then what are the different steps to get there successfully? If we fall back, what did we do wrong? What was the barrier to this? How can we get around that barrier and be successful the next time that we try? It seems like everyone these days is trying new workout systems. Some people go to the gym, others may run, but I've recently discovered a great in-home method that is absolutely amazing. I'm taking in-jitsu classes online where I'm being trained and pushed in real time by top MMA fighters straight from the octagon. Injitsu.com provides real-time classes so you can get a top-notch workout from the comfort of your own home. These classes are absolutely going to sell out. So head over to injitsu.com slash Richard Listens to get your first class for free. 
That's I-N-J-I-T-S-U dot com slash Richard Listens. Protecting your child's teeth is important in any sport. That's why Impact Dental Designs has put so much thought into their state-of-the-art mouth guards, protecting athletes in youth sports all the way up to advanced MMA fighters and champions. And the best part is you can customize your own design for your own creative and fun mouth guard. So head over to impactdentaldesigns.com slash Richard Listens. And if you purchase now, you get a free customized design and 20% off your order. A lot has come up now, whether it be, you know, the sport that I'm spending the most time around these days, which is soccer or working with fighters. A lot is, and we know from the most popular sport in America, the NFL, about brain health and concussions. Um, what are you finding and what is your focus when you meet with an athlete who, who's experienced concussion or has some other residual symptoms? My focus is that there's a lot of unknowns right now. Maybe the only thing that we do know is or are the symptoms that the athlete is presenting with. So how can I help them in that moment right then with the symptoms that they're experiencing? If they come to me telling me they're having headaches, they're forgetting their car keys, um, where they put them when they're leaving the house, they're forgetting how to get to certain locations in the community. How can I help them with those things that they're worried about right then in the moment? Not necessarily, how can I help them with what might be this big picture of long-term brain damage versus not? How can, how can we give you the skills and the modifications to do your day-to-day tasks despite everything else that's maybe happening or taking place? So I really try to focus on that, that with the athletes and just try to address their everyday needs as simple as possible, I guess. Yeah, have you found that athletes are really seeking assistance, understanding the emotions connected with the concussions? You know, is there, I know you deal with even more serious injuries to the spine and things like that. Are you there to help make them adjust to their, their the plan of what they are capable of doing? Or, you know, how, how do you even begin this dialogue around this taboo subject? Yeah, so luckily I work on a great interdisciplinary team at UCLA and we have neurologists who start that conversation with our patients. So um, that's helpful. And then as they see me for follow-up sessions, they'll generally see me six to 10 times after they see the neurologist. Then I, I really emphasize what the neurologist has talked to them about and um, emphasize as well. And my role is maybe to help them to adjust to the idea that there may be things going on, but there are things that can be fixed or adapted to or modified. There there are things that we we have control over our lifestyles. We have control over our diet and nutrition. We have control over our routines, our sleep, um, all of these things that can feed into um, the symptoms that you may see and big scary things that are being presented out there right now. But we have control in our little clinic room for the one hour we have together to um, try to try to control some of those things through our um, daily occupations. And so I really try to redirect them and point them back to focusing on that. 
How do you help a, a, an athlete or, you know, someone has a scary experience of seizure disorder or epilepsy? How do you help them, you know, stay in their sport and stay in control when they're battling something that that's a little bit out of their control? Great question. Um, so in my adolescent epilepsy clinic, a lot of what I work on with the adolescents is building independence. And so um, with them, I'll start when they're 12 years old. I start by kicking mom and dad out of the room for part of the session early on so that the, the adolescent has to talk to a medical provider by themselves. Um, and then we slowly move into things like managing their medications and managing, knowing what their diagnosis is and how to explain it to not only doctors, but to peers in case they're out and about and they have a seizure while they're with a friend. How do they tell their friend how to manage the situation? As far as sports and um, engagement and activities with them, it's more how can we get mom and dad to let you to have that independence that a typical 16 year old would have to be able to go out with your friends when you have seizures on a semi-frequent basis. How do we build that? How do we help the adolescent build that independence while helping mom and dad still feel safe letting their adolescent leave the house and go do those typical teenage things? Um, so usually the teenager is more biting at the bit to get back to the sport or whether the seizure happened there or not. They, they want to go back. In the concussion clinic, if we see a kiddo who maybe has um, more symptoms of the anxiety or depression or, or things like that, especially around going back to sport, um, we'll generally do more graded exercise, graded exposures with them. So we'll, we'll get them on an exercise bike. We put them through a six-week protocol to help help them recondition themselves um, and, and feel comfortable going back to, to their sport. Um, maybe they associate getting a headache with a concussion. So every time they have a headache, they think they're getting another concussion. So it's really helping them break that, that mind um, connection that they've made that headache equals concussion and knowing that maybe I have a headache because I didn't drink enough water today or because I didn't eat a snack before going to practice today. Um, so exposing them to having that headache in a safe environment where we can kind of detach those things. And I work really closely with our neuropsychologists on doing that. It's amazing the function on team, you know, and that the parallels to working in an athletic uh, environment uh, that you maintain. Uh, you know, I want to hear more about your private practice and the direction you're going. Uh, but tell me what what was the main, you know, what did you really gain, you know, when you were this athlete transitioning out? Um, what were some of the messages or skills that really helped you focus on putting one foot in front of the other and uh, beginning anew? So I think some of the big things that helped me were around the same time, I really found um, my niche at um, in college, I found a group that I could hang out with on a frequent basis who I was able to reach out to if I needed like an emotional outlet of someone to talk to. Um, I, I had a little more structure to my routine as um, at that point I was in um, a part of my program that um, even though I was an undergrad, I had started taking master's classes. So my schedule was a lot more um, rigid. I had to do two classes or I had to do um, classes every day for the entire week and they were at the exact same time most of the time. So um, that 
helped my schedule look a little more structured, which I appreciated. And then I worked um, really hard outside of those class hours to structure my mornings and my evenings, trying to exercise at the same time, see friends at the same time, um, have time where I could sit and kind of decompress, whether that be reading a book or, or watching it. TV. I tried to study in the same locations in the library or or in my dorm. Um, just using strategies to try to build that um, consistency that I felt like I needed in my life, even though it wasn't necessarily provided by the external environment. And is it is it a common concern for athletes that they would like to return to their sport but don't know how to do it in a balanced way where it's not ultra competitive? Yeah, I could definitely see that coming up of how do you transition into into playing rec teams or playing something that may not be as competitive as a professional stage. So tell us a little bit about your transition now that you're building a little bit of your own branching out and offering, you know, what is the goal for uh, your own uh, clinic and and who do you hope to help in, in, in terms of continuing your work? Yeah, so in preferred, um, in my private practice, preferred therapy associates, I, I really hope to um, target working with the collegiate or the professional athletes. So um, when collegiate athletes decide um, they're not going to go to professional sports and they're going to step back and retire, if athletes have to retire due to injury or um, due to other medical reasons, and then those professional athletes who are retiring from their careers as an athlete, um, those are the main populations that I'd like to target and really help focus on successfully moving them into an everyday lifestyle that doesn't revolve around around their sport and around that that identity that they've held since maybe they were five, six, seven years old. So that's really what I would like my private practice to tailor to. Um, I also think that it could be very applicable, like we've talked about, for veterans, um, as well as for people in maybe the performance industry and in acting or in singing who are transitioning maybe out of those careers as well, just helping them again, transition maybe to a less competitive or high profile position, still being able to engage in those things that they love to do like we would with athletes, but helping them do it in a more modified manner. That's amazing. You've mentioned, and we've been talking about our, our Zoom connection here, but in terms of the future of your profession and the healing professions, what are some of the directions either immediately in the future for OT uh, if we, we are looking at telemedicine and telehealth application? Yeah, so um, OTs actually um, in general have had some pretty big breakthroughs uh, with telemedicine coverage uh, throughout COVID-19. And so um, it's been really exciting to watch that legislation come through that we've been approved as telehealth providers by CMS now, which is amazing. Um, and hopefully we'll continue to move in directions to um, to be able to continue telemedicine even after uh, the world kind of settles down a little bit. I know in my practice, I'm doing um, some clinic visits, a lot of home visits, and then um, telemedicine visits as well through Zoom. And uh, my patients and I both have been loving the efficiency of telemedicine. The It eliminates the need for travel, the need for paying for parking, especially when you're in Los Angeles, where you have to pay for parking everywhere, including the grocery store. Yeah, so just eliminating all of those burdens. Telemedicine has been um, such a great asset to our profession, I think, and will hopefully continue to to grow as 
as we come out of this on the other side. Any unique challenges presented by the same the same medium? Yes, I had my first vestibular evaluation two weeks ago. It was a patient who presented um, and only had questions about vestib stuff and just wanted some exercises, but not being able to be hands-on with him in person and really being able to see eye movements and things like that. Um, that was that was very challenging. Um, but for the most part, the way um, at least my OT program is designed is um, a lot more talking, goal setting, um, maybe looking at Google calendars or doing research on the computer, which through Zoom and screen sharing, we've been able to manage pretty effectively. For, for my practice moving forward, I could see it continuing pretty well, despite maybe some of those one-off cases where I need to be a little more hands-on or in-person. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a real challenge, right? When somebody's having, are you talking about a inner ear or balance issue? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So what are the, what are the, you know, you're, you're right by UCLA or you're on a, you know, what are the applications for a sport on the major college campus and uh, for athletes, you know, with concussions and, and things of that nature? Um, so we are able to see the um, UCLA athletes in our clinics. And so I, I'm able to catch them when they come in there and then um, slowly, but surely as these programs have gotten up and running, we've started to talk about ways where we could integrate maybe some of this um, transition either for freshman athletes or for senior athletes who are going into graduation, um, starting to implement some of that that there. So it's it's very slowly in the works, but I hope um, one day that it comes to fruition as we push forward. Kind of a, a mandatory exit interview for athletes or something. Yeah, I think it'd be really interesting, even offered as a, a elective class or or something like that for the athlete population. I know at um, USC, all freshmen are now mandated to take, um, they have a mandatory occupational therapy um, class that they have to take as freshmen. And it is kind of centered around um, more broadly for the general population, but that transition, those life skills, those moving away from mom and dad, um, how to be successful in college. And so I think designing something like that a little more tailored specifically to athletes would be um, very interesting. Uh, it's incredible, all the applications. And uh, so how about on a, on a lighter note, how have you been, uh, you've been enjoying the quarantine? What's one thing you've been doing uh, for fun? And, uh, you know, maybe one, one show you've uh, binged or movie. Shit's <laughs> Creek is the absolute funniest show I've watched in a long time. I think we, we watched that show way too fast, but it was just so funny and lighthearted. It was, it was great. Um, and then on a more personal note, I had knee surgery in September. And um, just like I help my patients every day, it was really hard to get back into that routine of exercising and when I felt knee pain, it was, am I causing more damage? Should I stop exercising? So um, I found that working with my clients and really encouraging them, especially during this quarantine, to like start building the routines that they want when they come out of this, since they have a little more time to build in those good habits and good occupations like exercising and things like that, meditating. Um, I, I took my own advice and finally got back to running and did a 5K for the first time last week, so it's September. So wow congratulations so so yeah so so break that down for me was that like would you would you start doing like 
a half a mile and seeing if it hurt? Like, how did you navigate the whole pain, you know, frustration tolerance? Yeah, my, I kept feeling like a popping sensation in my knee. And so I worked with my physical therapist and my surgeon and talked through it a lot with them and made sure that it wasn't a sign that I was um, re-injuring anything or that I was going to come out on the other side of a run needing more medical attention or another surgery and um, really got reassurance from them. And then as I was going through the run and I would feel that popping I'd say, okay, when you get home, you're going to stretch, but let's go a little bit more um, and see how it feels. And then I'd get past a certain point and it'd feel a little bit better. Um, and so the next time I'd go out, I'd push a little bit farther. Um, it's hard to take your own advice, but what I always tell my patients is you want to get off the bike feeling like you can get on the next day. So you don't ever want to push too hard that you take yourself out for four or five days. You want to end when it's feeling a little bit easy so that you can go back out the next day and feel successful again. It's a really important message, right? Because in my discussions on some of my podcasts, right, to be elite athlete, you kind of have this gear that goes extra all the time. So learning this new gear on your 10 speed that says downshift (laughs) <laughs> yeah. It's okay to end when you're not drenched in sweat, when you're just a little sweaty, your heart rate rates up, like you're feeling like you've got an okay workout, but not great. It's much better than ending with a terrible migraine. And then you can't go back to exercise for four days. Tell myself that I had friends who I told to tell me that when I was feeling frustrated and kind of built that, that social network to, to get me through and started really slow, which felt really unsatisfying as hard as I can, as fast as I can. But once I met that, that milestone, um, it felt really good. And I was like, okay, I can keep going. I can just slowly build and get back to the half marathons that I want to be running. Oh, that's incredible. What do you have a timeline or do you just let yourself get gradually follow the improvements? The, the world right now has bought me sometimes, so <laughs> COVID has canceled a lot of races. But I think the one I would like to run is in October, so we'll see. That's great. So what's next, a 10K? Probably. Starting yeah. to work my way up to, to 10K <laughs> or a faster 5K because that turtle pace I'm running right now is... I was going to say, were you patient as- were you when you were like, you know, taking the turns and you were like, I know I can go faster? <laughs> Yeah, it definitely took some mental strength as well as physical strength to get back to running and to get back to running slowly. Good plug for mental skills and sports psychology. Thank you, Madison. Thank you. If you need a sports psychologist consultant to work alongside with your OT, you know who to call. There you go. Okay, well, in closing, tell everyone how to please contact you, stay in touch with you, ask questions. This is a really, you know, for my listeners, my clients who are here playing sports in Los Angeles, youth athletes in particular, parents are concerned when anything involves the brain or spine. And if you do have any kind of injury, you need to know where to go. So how can people reach you and learn more? I know you're doing a lot of things out there, classes, Instagram and things like that. So tell us how to find you. Yeah. So you can um, find me at preferredtherapyassociates.com. Or I'm on Instagram as well, prefer, uh, at Preferred Therapy Associates. And then my email address is M, as in Madison, Harris, at PreferredTherapyAssociates.com. Um, and if you ever have any questions or um, need some feedback, 
please reach out to me on any platform. I'd be happy to, to talk to you more. That's terrific. Well, a true example of being an athlete, finding your calling, allowing that transition to be uncomfortable, but still move you towards helping others. Uh, and you're doing so in so many different ways. So uh, I, for one, am thankful for this quarantine, uh, for our introduction and for the gift of uh, some of the things that we learn when we slow back down. And that's the biggest question that's been coming up this week. Like we mentioned, can you be elite? Can you be a killer? Can you have that instinct from a young age? You know, parents out there want to build that in and are so excited that their kid is dribbling past everyone and, you know, taking the ball to the basket strong. I'm so proud. But you can also teach them mental skills and skills that, that help you with transitions and balance in life. Exactly. Thank you, everyone. And, and for those of you listening today, we will be having Madison. We'll also be a guest on our Retired from Sports Making the Jump panel. So uh, look forward to more content, applied resources from her. Thank you, Madison. Thanks again. Well, that was a truly insightful gift from our guest, Madison Harris, Dr. Harris, occupational therapist, working with veterans, athletes, being a part of the brain sport program at UCLA, and also the Adolescent Epilepsy Center, uh, as well as the West LA VA, helping populations tremendously that go through accidents, injuries, need to recover from brain health and find their way back or forward after an injury or accident. And in terms of figuring out ways to live their lives, maybe a little bit differently with some new skill sets. I'm Richard Oldberger. You've been listening to Richard Listens Podcast. You can contact me at Instagram at Richard Listens. Please, please, please go to my patreon.com slash Richard Listens page. This show cannot go on without your support. This quarantine has been tough on everyone I know, but every dollar you give and pledge monthly uh, keeps us present to be able to go out and give this content to the masses and reach people on a grander and grander basis. So I thank all of you. I'm grateful. Thank you again. I'm Richard Listens, and I'm out. I'm a big fan of MMA sports. It's rough and elegant at the same time. I think my number one fear of stepping into a ring like that would be protecting my teeth. Luckily, the guys over at Impact Dental Designs have created an amazing mouth guard that is state of the art. These mouth guards are currently being used by some of the best MMA fighters, but even better, they can be tailored to any sport. Football, hockey, boxing, soccer, the list is endless. Head over to impactdentaldesigns.com slash richardlistens to get 20% off your order and a free customized design for your mouth guard. Lastly, I'd like to proudly mention our sponsor, Injitsu.com, providing remote at-home training from some of the world's top MMA fighters. These classes are not pre-recorded. These trainers come to you live and coach you for the duration of the session. I've personally taken a few of these classes and I've never felt so inspired and accomplished in a workout session. They'll leave you both on the floor in exhaustion and with a drenched shirt. There are still slots available for online classes, so head over to injitsu.com slash richardlistens to get your first class free. That's I-N-J-I-T-S-U dot com slash richardlistens. Take care, everyone.